Welcome to the Founders Keepers podcast. Interviews exploring stories behind the founders of change-making businesses in social impact, healthcare, and health tech industries, and what makes those founders tick. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Hassan, and this week I'm joined by Joe Goodall and Jazz Shembury, the co-founders of Luna. Luna is a platform for teenage health and well-being, and their app recently launched in the UK on Apple and Google Play stores following a $600,000 pre-seed investment from the likes of Octopus Ventures and Syndicate Room. The app is freely available to teens, but also to their parents, guardians, and teachers in order to holistically support young people during their formative years. Joe and Jazz are both former management consultants and met as MBA candidates at the Oxford Said Business School, where they conceived the idea for Luna. It went on to win the program's annual pitching competition and was formally launched in 2021. In this episode, we cover Dragon's Den style pitching, handing out flyers on the streets of London, and their amazing luminary fan base. Let's get started. So Joe and Jazz, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm very intrigued as to how you both got started with Luna, as I understand the idea for the company came from an MBA project. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and your individual journeys to where you are now? Sure, happy to. Um, And yes, you are correct. It was an MBA project back in 2021. So Jazz and I met um, when we both went back to do our MBA. We went to Oxford Said Business School, and that was in September 2020. And um, previous to that, we'd actually both had corporate careers, um, both in consulting, both at the same firm and at the same time, but we never actually met. Our paths never crossed then. And it was actually um, on the MBA that we met. And the idea um, was part of a project. So there was one um, project of the MBA where you can choose your own team. And basically, it was kind of Dragon's Den meets Apprentice. So like, you know, where the Apprentice, they're running around crazy being like, what should we do? What should we do? And then at the end of it, it kind of turned more Dragon's Den where you sort of pitch um, your idea to um, a panel of best investors at the end of term. And so we um, teamed up with three other women and we were basically talking one evening about, um, you know, specific sort of female health issues that either we were having um, or our friends were just discovering. So, you know, one friend who just discovered um, that she had PCOS um, and, you know, in our late 20s and early 30s, we were just sat there thinking, why did no one tell us about this earlier? Like, I, what are the symptoms? Does anyone even know? Like, and just the conversation kept going on about different health issues that actually Some of us had either never heard of, they didn't even know what the symptoms were. And it's basically because no one's ever taught us. No one, you know, we never had the education um, to say, you know, this is what to look out for. These are the red flags. And that was, to be honest, where the idea for Luna came from. And um, obviously, we researched this area. We went back to schools to kind of see what the um, PSHE curriculum looks like now. And, you know, despite the fact that we were sort of 15 years out of secondary school, um, the curriculum is still very much the same in terms of what is taught to the students in terms of their health and their well-being and their bodies. Yet they live in a very different world to us now um, with the Internet. They all have smartphones. There's not many, you know, 11 year olds that don't go to school with a smartphone in their hand and they have the world at their fingertips. And so when we had magazines back in the day to kind of look at, you know, these kind of, you know, issues and problems, they now have TikTok, they have Instagram, they have a wealth of places to go. And unfortunately, 
as we all know, a lot of those sources are incorrect. Um, they're sometimes quite dangerous, the information that's on there. And um, so, yeah, we just thought we, we've got to do something about this. And rather than, you know, leaving another generation of, of women and um, coming through to sort of suffer in silence, essentially. So that's where the idea for Luna came from and the whole educating the next generation on their bodies, their health, their well-being um, and everything that, that goes with it. And in terms of the competitor landscape, it seems that Luna's fairly unique in its offering um, targeted at teens and offering sort of these well-being services. But would you say it's specifically that breadth of service offering that differentiates it from competitors or is it something else that you think makes it stand out? Um, I definitely think the the breadth is definitely one of those kind of key differentiators, um, just for the fact that we want to be holistic through the whole adolescence journey. So we're not just focused on like periods or just hormones. Um, and um, actually, you know, we kind of take the end to end journey of um you know, adolescence. So that's everything to do with periods and hormones, but also your skincare and your hair care and stress and mental health and sleep and exercise and nutrition and gender, sexuality. There's so many topics that as a teenager, you start getting exposed to and you start having questions that actually going on somewhere like TikTok is not helpful because there's, yeah, there's some great information on there, but there's also a lot of rubbish information that you just don't know if it's verified. Um, whereas our content and everything in Luna is created by an expert. So there's no, um, you know, it's not user generated essentially. So um, people, when they come to Luna, know that the information is factually accurate and it's a trusted source. It's also not boring. It's not like going to the NHS website or to some, you know, um, publication website where actually it can be a bit dry sometimes. Um, we actually, you know, deliver the information in a fun and engaging way like the doctors who are on camera they're all you know young engaging and um yeah just have a real passion for it which I think really shows in in the content itself so um so yeah we're hoping to kind of own that whole adolescence journey from you know whether that's 10 11 years old all the way through to you know your driving test essentially and things like that you can um you know find discount codes for that on Luna as well. And I want to stick a little bit deeper into it. You've talked about sort of the misinformation that um, a lot of teenagers and indeed adults can get on platforms such as TikTok. Um, and I wondered whether you'd experienced any pushback or any concerns have been voiced against the age of users for the Luna app, because your target market, as you said, is sort of right from the very start of adolescence, so 10, 11 years old. Um, and have you had any pushback against people saying, well, oh, perhaps that's too young to be engaging with something like that, even though people of that same age are probably on TikTok anyway, getting the false information. So I wondered what your experience of that had been. Yeah, exactly. And that's very much the case in terms of, you know, we've had one or two um, parents maybe who are concerned about topics being, you know, shown to their 11-year-old, um, which th they might not want showing to them, which is absolutely, um, you know, fine. Um, completely understand that. But on the flip side, we always say, you know, if they have a smartphone and if they're in secondary school, they are probably seeing this content, you know, uh, somewhere else and probably not explained in the correct way. It's probably dangerous and it's probably giving them a false sense of, you know, what reality is. And actually, we're saying, you know, come to Luna for the factually accurate advice. And, you know, if, yeah, 
if it's to do with sex and things like that, which obviously some parents and 11 year olds think that's too young, like obviously we kind of give the the facts about it, you know, why you have a period and, and what that means kind of thing, rather than, you know, we're not, we're not giving tips or advice or anything like that to, to, um, to this audience. So, and yeah, it's probably one of those things that if you have given your child a smartphone, they've probably seen it on some other rogue, rogue websites. And um, yeah, we want to be the safe space where they can learn in a sort of um, positive environment. And I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about some of the investors you work with. As you mentioned, you, you met at business school. Obviously, you're very business minded. So I just wondered, what's your approach to working with them? How do you establish and build a relationship with investors to demonstrate that they can trust you with their money? <laughs> uh, I think we're really lucky with the investors we have on board. So we have a mix of um, VC and angels. Um, we're very lucky to um have octopus ventures on board who have a real interest in in health which i'm sure you'll know well probably from some of the others that you've interviewed but um they've also got a really strong consumer team um and i guess with a vc fund comes um you know other support so they've got a great uh, talent support offering that they offer their portfolio company so we've had great help from them in terms of hiring also strategic advice right so um we've also been able to go in and sort of workshop out what the next sort of um, year or two looks like and what those milestones need to be in order to keep raising again. So um, we, it's been great to have them um, as an investor to help there. But then in terms of our angels, we've got a lot of parents um, on board and obviously having parents championing what we do is great. Um, we also have many fathers there as well. And I think initially a lot of people weren't sure whether we'd be able to get male advisors um, or, or male investors involved because this is a female topic well we're, we're really lucky and, and love the the male investors that we have who who champion from a father perspective and mother perspective um we've also got doctors and um and gynies on board as investors as well and obviously that's been great in terms of having having people in the field back what we're doing and obviously see the need um and um have them sort of open doors in terms of partnerships to um with other hospitals and other healthcare providers, because for us, you know, at the moment we are a free resource um, and you can go in, have a talk with your GP or your healthcare provider, but then we're that sort of long, long, um, long-term support thereafter. So yeah, we've got like a real mix there. And then obviously we've got family and friends as well who've jumped in. Um, we only discovered the beauty of crowdfunding quite late into our raise. And so we didn't actually um, lean into that too much um but hopefully in our in our um in our next phase you know we will be able to open that up um because we now have like other friends and and people who um might want to get involved and the last group which i i failed to mention would be our old bosses they really were like pivotal in being some of our initial backers so um going out and pitching and asking for money to people who, who don't know you you know you've got no track record yes you've gone to business school you're a consultant but you know does that really mean you can build an app for this audience um and as much as we would pitch it and say how how big there is a need and how big the market opportunity is and how legit joe and i are you know we it it um wasn't easy and we weren't getting that much traction um early on and so we did pivot and we we did go knocking to our old bosses and sort of say you know please we've got this idea we've worked with you you know you've seen how hard we hustle like give us a chance and so actually you know be I, I was wrong not to mention them first because they really were our early backers and because of them we were then able to sort of go back out and say look you know we've hit 25 30 percent we have got people behind us and it just helped get the the ball mo um 
rolling a little bit. So yeah, we have a really, really great mix. Um, and yeah, monthly updates. So we put shout outs for things we need and, you know, they'll message us and say, I can unlock this or I can introduce you to this person. Um, so I feel like we've created a great, a great set of backers. Um, uh, yeah, who are hopefully very excited to be on this journey with us. Just to mention as well, which was kind of nice full circle, was that the original pitch that we did back at business school that I mentioned earlier on, um, it was to a real group of investors and they actually then went on to invest in us later on when we you know, went out to do the fundraise kind of a year later. And they were the ones that said, this is a great idea. Like, who's who's doing this? Um, and so that kind of gave us the idea of like, oh, maybe maybe there is something in this. And yeah, so um, they then actually invested sort of a year later, which was amazing. And you may both have different answers to this, or it might be the same answer, but what would you say is the scrappiest thing that you've had to do to date for the business? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Um, yeah, I mean, currently at the moment, um, we we work out of WeWork, and there are WeWorks all over London, and we've got the, the pass where you get to pick where you go, um, and we every lunchtime or after school, we go out on the streets um, and we hand flyers out and stickers out and QR codes out. And um, for me, that's like pretty scrappy. And, you know, it's November coming into December. It's cold, it's raining, it's drizzly. Um, and, you know, for anyone who sees people who, you know, the charity askers on the street who ask for money, people walk past, people can be quite rude sometimes. But, you know, most people are actually quite opening to listen you know, about what we're doing and we'll take a leaflet, whether it's for them, you know, their, their, their nieces or for their friends or whatever. So I think at the moment, you know, going out sort of every lunchtime to hand out flyers um, and stickers is is, is um, pretty scrappy, I would say. And I think that will continue um, because it's a, it's a great acquisition strategy for now. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's probably the one from me. <laughs> I would say um, back when we... Like when we first started the idea, we did a lot of testing, you know, going into schools, speaking to students and, um, you know, getting their thoughts, getting their ideas. And then it was actually sort of Christmas last year. And we were like, how are we going to build this thing? Like We're not technical at all. Um, and, you know, we had a very good idea of what it needed to look like. And we actually went to a few agencies who were like, yeah, we can build it for you. Easy peasy kind of thing. Obviously, their quotes came back as humongous and they wanted like loads of money and they wanted equity and we were just like we're just not prepared or we haven't got the money to begin with we you know we didn't have any money um but we're just also not prepared to give away that much equity for you know essentially like what was we wanted quite a basic app just as a prototype so we did it ourselves and like we just you know being not technical had no like medical background so jazz went out and um you know put a twitter call out for any um, medical students and junior doctors who would give us you know create content for free for us volunteer for us and create some content I learned you know by watching hours of YouTube how to create like a no code low code version of this app and we did it with like 300 quid and it looked awful like, <laughs> at the time we were like this looks amazing wow but looking back now we we're like oh my god it was so ugly <laughs> um but it did the job, you know, it got, look, we got users on there. We got people testing it and like giving us feedback. And I think the fact that these 12, 13 year olds were using an app that was so ugly and they're used to like all whizzy, spinny, you know, beautiful looking apps. And this was like a bit clunky, didn't really do everything we wanted to do, but it really like 
tested the concept for us. And um, yeah, I remember thinking at the time, like, oh my God, surely the app is going to look better than this eventually. And I can say it does now because <laughs> we didn't build it. We've got some technical people building it. <laughs> and aside from what you've sort of alluded to so far um, and hats off to you for, you know, fly posting on the streets of London in freezing November weather, um, have there been any particular standout challenges that you would say you've faced so far? Um, I feel like there are challenges every day. Um, I, I wouldn't say that this is like something that blocked us for weeks or anything, but I would say the biggest challenge that we have is persuading young people, but also investors that this is a cool app. It's not a cringy app. So when I, and that there is a need for this. So I think like when we go into these schools, we don't show them the app up front. We explain it, you know, talk about what it is and whatnot. And I think they're sort of 30% engaged because they're like, what is this going to look like? Like, is this going to be really cringy? Is this, you know, and um, then they see it and they're like, okay, wow, this is, a, this is in their words, aesthetic. And um, this is what I need. Like, I love the advice. I love seeing what other people are seeing. I love being able to track this. And so for me, with my sort of customer acquisition and brand hat on, I'm, I'm thinking like, how do we yeah, get that across to people so that, you know, they do download it without us having to do like a massive spiel and, and, and whatnot. So, and I, and from, I think from an investor's perspective, when we were initially raising, I don't think, I think many probably thought, well, how are you going to make such a, in theory, taboo topic, interesting and appealing and make an app that people will want to use and want to engage with? Um, and you know we didn't have any designs really then like we just had some theories so I hope in our next raise like now we'll be able to prove it out with like data and give them something to see but I do think that is a massive massive challenge like yeah how do you make something that isn't typically talked about something that is and something that is cool to be part of that you do want to share with friends and that you are proud of so um, yeah I think that's just more of an ongoing thing and, and something that will continue to evolve and and something that hopefully our users and our community will help us um, help with as they sort of spread the word and, and the love for Luna, which we are seeing through like the referrals and stuff like that. So I think that's probably top of mind for me. I'm not sure what you think, Joe. I agree. I think I think that's like you say, it's top of mind at the moment because having just launched the app sort of well officially on the app store two weeks ago, um, it's yeah user acquisition and and also like brands and getting brand partnerships and um, like we mentioned before the discount codes and stuff we've had loads of brands who are like really keen but then obviously some are like oh we've never heard of you so um why should I give you a discount code essentially um and yeah I think it's just sort of that persuasion game really and um and uh, making our ourselves ourselves heard in um because we are quite small now but we won't be for long <laughs> And could you walk me through what a, I say typical day, I, I suspect a typical day doesn't exist, but what would a typical day as close as one could be, be in the business? <laughs> no, typical day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking hands, no. Yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think that's one of the things that I really love about this whole journey and being, um, you know, one of the founders of Luna, essentially, is that we've obviously come from careers where, corporate careers you kind of know what you're doing each day you do sort of similar kind of things each day you know you're on the very sort of one track kind of thing whereas with this we can literally be one day like jazz says in a school or out on the streets like speaking to users the next day you know we're emailing the lawyers about the trademarks and you know then sort of 
doing all the finances and budgeting and paying people. And then, um, yeah, literally every day. I mean, just before this call, I was at the post office sending off our like giveaway prizes. And honestly, it's it's everything and anything. And I think, yeah, between Jazz and I, obviously, we cover off kind of all parts of the business. We have, you know, a small team now. There are six of us. But, you know, between the two of us, we kind of have oversight over over everything. But, um, yeah, there is literally no no two days the same. Um, and no two days we're even in the same location, which is crazy. Because, like Jazz said, with our WeWork access, we go to different ones so we can um, go to the schools and, and hand out our flyers, et cetera. So, yeah, we were at a different one on Monday. Um, we'll be at a different one tomorrow. We're at home today. So all over the place. And I know you've only just recently launched, as you've mentioned, um, but what can we expect maybe in the next, say, 12 to 24 months from Luna? 12 to 24 months. Well, um, I'd say in the next 12 months, I hope that Luna has got a very strong UK presence. So we're going after growth now. And whilst we've been targeting sort of London, London schools, um, you know, London-based partnerships and promo, the plan is to go regional. um, And for the end of next year, as many teens as possible, having Luna on their phones and using that as their primary sort of health and well-being app. And for us, that goal is very feasible. If we continue on the trajectory that we have for the last two weeks, um, then then that's what the end of 2023 will look like. And then in terms of 2024, well, there are teens across the world, um, all with very similar experiences, similar, similar questions, um, and we want to take it global. So the plan for 2024 would be to, to translate this app and get it out in Europe, but then also go um, across the pond to Canada and the US um, and launch there. So um, the world is our oyster and um, Joe and I are an incredibly ambitious and we've got a great team around us and we hope to, to continue to scale and grow um, and just help improve the lives of, of many teenagers today it's um it's a rocky time as is and as sort of joe alluded to earlier even more sort of stressful in today's world of sort of social media and unrealistic expectations and if we're feeling it as you know 30 year olds then we can only imagine what it's like sort of being a teen today in in, in 2022 so yeah i think that's the sort of big bad and bold ambitions from us and what would you say has been the biggest contributor to your success I don't know if you're saying different to me, Joe. I will say our like core Luna fans, self-named the luminaries. So when we go into these schools, um, we then we start going to these schools and we um started getting messages saying, Oh, can I come do work experience? Can I help help on the side marketing? Can I come and code your app? And we were like, Okay, well, wow, we really like left an impression, but also, you know, people who want to help out, and there's only two of us, so so why not? So then we created like a side group and we sort of set them like weekly missions you know tell us who you follow on tiktok what what's your daily routines like what kind of colors do you like what branding do you like and then more and more people were requesting to be part of the luminaries um and we now sort of have 250 sort of strong users who are our core users who get to test input um and you know comment on features early basically um but they have been the people that have kept us honest. So when Joe and I wanted to launch with hot pink and purple <laughs> branding, they told us absolutely not. It's not what we want. Um, when we wanted a big, bold Luna logo, again, it's not on brand. When, you know, we've had hypotheses that are wrong, they've helped sort of prove that out. Um, but then above and beyond that, they are just what make all the grey hairs and long hours worth it because they 
just continue to send us such kind um, feedback and have helped spread the word of this of this app. Um, and so, yeah, quite honestly, I think they have been huge and have really helped um, us accelerate and, and create a great product because, yeah, probably without them, it would look and feel very different um, to, to what it, it looks like today. So that's probably my contribution there. Joe, would you say anything different? Um, to be honest, no, I completely agree. That group is um, has been so, so helpful. And I think as you speak to more founders and, and investors as well, and you mentioned these, these, you know, core users, everyone's amazed that we get the kind of feedback that we do from them. And we have this feedback loop in the app now where they can just submit their feedback and, and tell us what they like, what they don't like and things like that. And I think... Um, that has just been key because investors say to us all the time, like, that's amazing that you have these core users who are really helping you build this, um, which I think many businesses would would love to have and perhaps um, struggle to to get hold of because, you know, this age group seem to be so, um, what's the word, like, involved and they just really want to be involved and they're just happy to be involved um, in any way they can, which um is yeah been brilliant so long may that continue and would you do anything differently if you were to start again <laughs> um, i guess well i i think we i i i really am proud of like everything we've achieved and um so i wouldn't say there isn't anything glaringly obvious but there is what i think what i would do differently from the investment raise point of view is just back ourselves more. Like, you know, we had so many calls where people were like eating on the phone and like not listening and clearly didn't want to be there. And I wish in that moment, I just sort of said, do you know what? I'm really sorry. Like, I don't think that this is going to work for us or, you know, you're clearly not interested yet. We sat on those calls and then we felt bad about it afterwards. We thought, why, or do we not do a good job? Are we not engaging enough or, or whatever and, and then you just start spiraling when actually like they should be lucky to have our time as much as we're lucky to have their time and I think going into the next round um, we will only meet with investors who have been recommended by others or who really fit our thesis and um, yeah who just respect our time as well and I think yeah I've sort of had that moment a couple of days ago where I was like wow we, we really are like yeah, we work really hard. We're a good team. We're we built we built a great product, and people people should be lucky to be on our cap table as well. So, um, I think that's like one thing I do differently. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I don't think there's anything like one major thing like where we'd say, oh, we should have done this, or we should have done this earlier, or that later. I think we've been very. I think it's the inner consultants in us. We've been very methodical and kind of planned out exactly you know, what our milestones are, what um, what we need to hit and how we're going to get there. And it has all felt, yeah, very, very methodical in that way. And so I think in that sense, I wouldn't do do anything in particular different, but I think it's a really good point about the whole investor piece, definitely. Um, and we know for next year. <laughs> and lastly, is there any other advice that you would give to would-be business founders? So what was the question? Is there any other advice that you would give to would-be business founders? I would say mine would be try and test your product or idea on as little cash and time and resource as possible. 
to really understand whether there is a need for it. So instead of going and spending thousands trying to build something and then putting it out there and it actually not, you know, fixing anyone's problem or or anyone actually wants it, rather get out there and start speaking to people and your users straight away um, because it will save so much time, money, effort, and actually they might give you another idea. And I think that's what happened with us and Luna. Like we went to school straight away because we were just like, does anyone actually need this? We think they do, but do they really need it? And it was when, like Jazz said, we were in the schools and they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Can I download it now? And they're searching on the app stores and we're like, we haven't even incorporated as a business yet. It's not been made. (laughs) But it was that kind of initial traction that made us think, right, well, there's something in this. And I'm glad we didn't spend hours and hours and days like strategizing and spending money on on anything. We literally went to a school and said, can we tell you about our idea? And, you know, we repeated it a few times. So we were just in, just checking. It wasn't just, maybe it's just this one school. They've just got a problem with their PSHE. But no, it was like, you know, we heard it from lots of different users. So um, that would be my advice. Just test something, get it out there even if it looks terrible like our initial app did. <laughs> mine would be um mine would be to make sure you've got a great team around you. So whether that is literally just you and your co-founder, you have to really get along with each other and just be on the same page. You can have different skill sets, but you need to have the same ambitions, the same work ethic and the same, you know, vision. Um and like I said, just really like each other because when you are just a team of two, and even now, like Joe and I are talking all the time. Now, obviously, we're dividing and conquering, but at the time, you know, you're running in, in in parallel. And you know, if you can't work with that person, or you don't get along with that person, or if you're not aligned with that person, it will just cause so many issues. So I feel really lucky to be working with a, an amazing co-founder, and I think having a co-founder to to be on this journey with as well because there are some real like ups and downs um and so I think you know having the right team around you is just so important and then in terms of like the first set of hires like not to rush it and and that is very hard when you're like I am working so hard and I need somebody to help take this workload off me but um are finding the right people who are going to you know work in the same way that you do from a cultural perspective or you know have the same passion for the mission is is really important so like yeah not to just bring the first person that applies on board and to really make sure that they're a match um for you especially when you're sort of less than 10 people in the team so yeah i think that one is probably my top tip i hope you've enjoyed this episode of founders keepers and if you have please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review on whatever listening platform you are using Be sure to tune in next time for another Founders Story.